going through this series right now called All In, and uh, we're talking about what it looks like to be all in for Jesus in 2021, not just partially in, not just halfway in, not just, you know, lackadaisical as we do sometimes in different areas of our lives, but to go all in for Jesus, and what, not only what that would look like for us, but what it would look like for those in our lives as well. Um, we started a few weeks ago, kind of outlined, there's 10 areas that we're talking about going all in. Uh, in, it starts with being a believer and being baptized, like we saw demonstrated this morning, uh, being a part of a small group, um, having a daily time with the Lord um, through scripture and prayer. It also involves giving, uh, uh, and, um, and we're going to look at that a little bit today. You know, there's a story, um, I was going to, actually my introduction today was going to be a little bit different, but um, there's a very interesting story in scripture that builds off of our theme verse that we're going to, of giving um, from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 6, that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully, over and above, is what that's talking about. And the story's in the Old Testament, in Second uh, Kings chapter 4, you have uh, Elisha, who's a prophet, and he goes to this town. In the town, there's a woman there who's a widow, and she had been married to a guy who was also a prophet, a preacher. But they don't have any money. The guy had died, and uh, this, this woman has her, her she has two kids, uh, young kids, and the creditors, the people that they owe money to, were going to come and steal her children and make them slaves in order to try to pay off her debt. Uh, or her husband's debt that they had. And she had analyzed their finances and determined they don't have enough that they need to pay off the debt. They didn't have enough. And so she appeals to the prophet. She says, we don't have enough. We need help. And the prophet doesn't say, okay, well, we'll go to the, you know, the, the prophet bank account and we'll give you profit money. No, the prophet responds there and says, what do you have in your house? She says, I've already looked at my house. I don't have enough to pay this. We, we wouldn't be having this conversation if I had enough. And he says, no, what do you have in your house? And she says, well, really the only thing of value that I have is a little tiny jar of oil in the cabinet. And he says, all right, what I want you to do is go to all your neighbors and borrow a bunch of containers, bowls, jars, anything they have that's empty. You get them and you bring them into your house. He says, then when you bring all those jars in, get all your kids, line up the jars all over the house and lock the doors and then take that little jar of oil that you have and start pouring into those bowls. Now, what's interesting about the story is she doesn't question what the prophet tells her to do. She just does, even though it sounds nuts, because she knows how much she has, and she knows it's not enough. And the prophet says, do it, so she does it. She borrows all the bowls, all these containers from everybody. She brings them in. They're all over the counters. They're all over the beds. They're all over the floor. They're everywhere. And she locks the door, and she takes that little bitty jar of oil and starts pouring it into these little containers. And the, the, the oil continues to flow out of her little jar and fills them all up. Every jar. And when the final jar, final container gets filled to the brim, the flow of oil out of her little jar stops. Like the idea is she tips that little jar and it's just like flowing out continually. So I imagine her sending her kids, it's not stopping, bring me another one quick. And they're bringing it and she's putting it under there, stuff's getting spilled and uh, everything's full. And then finally, when the last container is full, the jar stops flowing and she tips it up, still got that little amount in there and every other container in the house is full. But what's so great about this is the story ends. It's in Second uh, Kings chapter four, uh, verses one through seven. 
the story ends and it says that she was able to sell that oil and the proceeds from that not only paid off everything that was owed, she was able to live off of that money for the rest of her life. So what she had that she thought was not enough when it was empowered by the Spirit of God was far more than what she had asked for. More than enough. And that's exactly what we're going to look at today. When it comes to, to giving to the Lord, the question isn't, God, I don't have enough to give. The question is, God, how much should I be giving? God, when should I stop giving? Because we're going to look at something very interesting today, a story that uh, if you haven't dug into the, the depths of uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, you may not have read before, and that may be many of us, uh, you know, because the beginning of the book of Exodus is very exciting, right? I mean, the people get pulled out of Exodus, I mean, get pulled out of Egypt, and you know, parting the Red Sea, and they go across, and, and the, the Egyptian army is killed, and it's amazing. God does this great thing, rescues his people. They get out into the desert. They go up next to this mountain. Moses goes up on the mountain, and the people get a little frustrated while Moses is on the mountain hearing from the God, and they end up doing some things they should not do, even though Moses was only on the mountain for like 40 days, but it only took him a few weeks to wander away from God. But Moses on the mountain, he hears from God. He gets this vision from God about this amazing thing they're supposed to do. Build the tabernacle, okay? And, I mean, we're talking gold everything. We're talking the most ornate uh, uh, cedar columns and uh, 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 curtains made out of the finest material. And these are people who just escaped out of slavery. And God given, has given this vision for this incredible thing to be accomplished. And they don't have enough to make it happen. The church doesn't have enough money in their bank account to pull this thing off that God has just given them to do. About nine chapters before we're where we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be in uh, Exodus chapter uh, 35 here. You see, God gave them this idea, this vision, this, this purpose. Build the tabernacle. He, he even outlines specifics about how big things are to be, how they're supposed to be measured, how they're supposed to be created. But he didn't tell them how they were going to pay for it all, what they were going to do to fund this thing. The people did not have enough on their own to make it happen. And so let's look at what happens here. Uh, Exodus 35, we're going to start in verse 4 and read a few verses here. Moses said, Moses was the leader. He led them out of Egypt. He heard a word from God. He led the people out. Uh, here in verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Now, that's an, that's an offering. That is a, a free will offering that you offer to God. It's, it's the idea is, let's say you have $100, okay? And you say, the Lord's impressed on me that $20 of that 100 is God's. The moment you make that decision in this idea of contribution, that is God's. That 20 bucks is holy, is the idea. And so Moses, that's what he's saying. Bring the Lord's contribution Make a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, that's a key word. Whoever is of a generous heart. That, now, generosity isn't something you do, it's a mindset. And we're going to see that. Let him bring the Lord's contribution. Now, you see, Moses has shifted to what he's talking about. Earlier in verse 4, uh, or in verse 5, he says, Take from among you a contribution. And now the next sentence, he says, it is the Lord's contribution. It's already God's. You make the decision, it's God's. And then he lists out some things. He says, gold, silver, and bronze. 
and purple and scarlet yarns in fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breast pieces. And so he lists out all these things that they can give, that they can bring. And it's a whole bunch of stuff. Make it a, a contribution to the Lord. It's the Lord's contribution. You see, because, like I said, generosity is a mindset. Really, honestly, generosity is a spiritual endeavor. Generosity is a spiritual muscle that must be exercised. If it's not exercised, then it's not going to grow stronger. If it doesn't go stronger, then it won't be a part of who we are. See, generosity to the Lord is a spiritual muscle, and it's a spiritual muscle that everybody has. Whether you exercise it or not, you got it. In the same way that some people's physical bodies are, you know, some people exercise powerfully, and they are more powerfully built. Like, if you stood me up here next to Jose, he's more powerfully built than I am, because he exercises in a more powerful way than I do, undoubtedly. But it's the same way spiritually. It's this generosity deal here, this spiritual muscle. If you exercise it, it's going to grow and get stronger and be more powerful, making you, your spiritual body, more powerful. This thing must be exercised on a regular basis for your own spiritual benefit and growth. But generosity also mimics the heart of God, because generosity demonstrates great faith in God's provision. You be, if you're generous, you're, you're giving freely, trusting that God will provide everything you need on the back end. And so that's the idea. If you have a generous heart, you're going to give to the Lord. You're going to make a contribution to the Lord. You're going to dedicate something as holy that is within your possession because it's also an act of worship. Generosity is an act of worship because generosity, uh, or honestly, your generosity level is an x-ray of your faith. Your generosity level is an x-ray of your faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that your generosity is an act of grace. He equates generosity to the same level as spiritual disciplines, like reading scripture, like prayer, uh, like service in the church. He says we can do some of those, but when it comes to finances, a lot of times we're a little funky and, and it makes us uncomfortable because we like security and we like comfort and we like to know that it's there, but... Generosity is a spiritual muscle. It, it reveals the level of faith that we have in the Lord. Do we trust Him enough to provide our daily bread today? Or are we too busy storing up our daily bread for next week that we don't pay attention to what God has for our daily bread today? And so, Moses has enacted this on the people. This is what God wants you to do. Be generous. Generous. Generous with your money, but more than that, generous with more than just Money, Because even though generosity is about money first and foremost, it goes beyond money. Generosity is about giving to God, giving to the Lord, giving everything that the Lord has given you back to Him. Generosity is about giving everything the Lord's given you back to Him. Everything, whether it's money, uh, whether it's gifts, whether it's skills, whether it's abilities, in, in whatever capacity, you giving it back to him, turning it over to him. Maybe even stop trying to control it because when we try to control what we've given to God, we haven't really given it to God. We've given it, but, but with stipulations. That God, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to trust you with this, but not really because God, the only way you can use that is if you do this, 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 and this. 
That's the only way I'm going to trust it with you. We still try to exercise control over the thing we have given to God, and in doing so, we haven't really given it to God. Maybe God wants you to give your children over to Him right now and stop trying to exercise control over them and let God take care of business. I don't know who that's for in the room. That's not in my notes at all, but that's for somebody. Maybe it is over money, and there's a certain section of your finances that you know God already told you to give to Him, and you haven't done it. You haven't done it. And you've been stepping out and walking and trying to ignore that part of your spiritual brain and keep it over here so you don't have to look at it or pay attention to it and you think God will forget about it but God never forgets but you forget and you're trying to ignore what God's already told you to do and you don't want to do it but God's told you to do it and once you do it you're going to experience freedom at a level you've never known before let it go and let God take care of it offering everything the Lord has given you money and your gifts the skills that you have utilizing them for the Lord's purpose and what he has for you Maybe you're mechanically minded. Maybe you can use that for the Lord. I was having battery trouble one time on my mower. I tell a lot of mowing stories. I told one last week, too. I was working on my mower. I don't work on my mower a lot, but sometimes it breaks. <laughs> and, and I was having battery trouble. And uh, uh, somebody in the church heard about it. Uh, Brandon Gwynn. He showed up at my house with a new battery for my mower. He First, he fixed the old one. And gave me a new one. And he said, keep the new one and put the old one on the shelf and use it just in case that one breaks. That's somebody who had skills that I didn't have, but he used them to encourage a fellow believer. And in that moment, I wasn't the pastor standing out in the driveway trying to fix my mower. I was just a fellow believer, and he was there to help me in the process. He had a skill I didn't have. And if you have skills and abilities and gifts that other people don't have, use them for the Lord's glory, for his benefit. Give it back to him. Offer it back to him. It doesn't necessarily have to be in these four walls. It can be. It should be. But it can be outside of this. The church doesn't exist on this property. The church exists wherever you are because you're the church. You take it wherever you go. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Everywhere you step is holy ground because you have the Holy Spirit with you. Maybe there's some places you're stepping you don't need to be stepping because it's not, you wouldn't call that place holy ground, but because you step there, you make it holy ground. But are you acting as though that is the case? So generosity needs to be built into who we are. Look at what happens next. Verse 10, this backs up the fact that it's more than just money. Let every skilled, or every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So every skilled craftsman is supposed to come. You're supposed to give, but then you're also supposed to give of your skills, of your abilities, the things that God has innately built into you. Uh, there's, the people are expected to give money, but also expected to give of what they can do. All right, now jump down to uh, verse 20. Moses finishes talking. He's done, and this is the people's response. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, and everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So people started bringing money. They started bringing contributions. This is the first part of the process. They start bringing everything they have to uh, for the work of the Lord's ministry. Verse 22. So they came, both men and women, 
all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord, and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns and, or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it to the Lord's contribution. Everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. Every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod, for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women of the people of Israel. Now, what do you think that word all means? 50%, half of them? All. There, you learned a Hebrew definition today. It means all. All the men and women of the people of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Every offering was acceptable to the Lord when it was brought with generosity. Everything, whether they had gold or they had linen, whether they had silver or they had acacia wood, whether they had an earring or they had a giant block of gold in their safe, they brought everything. It did not matter the, the size of the gift because it was all necessary. The people needed oil for the service. They may not have had gold, but they had some oil. They may not have had bronze, but they had some spices, and they brought it all to the service of the Lord, to the ministry of God. They brought it to be used of by God. It was all acceptable when brought with generosity. Nothing was too little. Nothing was not valuable enough. It was all brought. Because here's the deal. The Lord does not value the thing that is offered. The Lord values the heart that is bringing the offering. It's not about the thing. It's about the heart that brings the thing. He says this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We judge things by the size and the weight and the amount, but that's not how God does. He judges by our heart. That's why Jesus sitting in the temple across from the offering plate, and the way they did it back then is, is they put the offering plate up in front of everybody so everybody could see who brought what. And when they brought their offering, uh, like if somebody was bringing $100, they would like get it in $100 in pennies. So it made the most noise because they wanted everybody to know they were giving a lot of money. So Jesus is watching all these people bring this money. He's sitting there with his disciples around him, and everybody's pouring their money in, and they're so proud of themselves. And that lady comes up, and she puts in two pennies. And Jesus tells his disciples, she brought more than everybody. And they said, no, she didn't. We saw what everybody brought. She didn't bring, she didn't bring anywhere near what everybody brought. And Jesus said, because she gave everything she had. They gave out of their abundance. They gave a, a tiny percentage. They gave 2% of what they had. She gave 100%. Because it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. It's not about the thing, it's about the heart. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. You've made up your mind. You made the decision. You made that amount holy because of your decision to do it. And you, you decided to do it because the Lord impressed on you to do it, and you're following in obedience. And so these people are bringing and bringing and bringing. Now, you've got to understand the way this works is they would bring, they thought they would bring everything on day one. But that's not the way it was. 
They brought everything they could, and then they went home, and they prayed with their family, and then realized, oh, wait, I've got those other earrings in the other jewelry box. Or you know what? I, I had hid those earrings from the kids because they take them out and play with them and break them, and I, I, we need to bring those. And the next day, they would come and bring something else. And then they would go back and be eating dinner and realize, wait, this is silverware. And they would take that the next day. And this happened every single day. They brought, everybody brought stuff. Every single day they were making stuff. They were making more curtains. They were making more cloth. They were making all kinds of stuff. And they were bringing it to Moses to be distributed for the work of the Lord. And look what happened. This is, <laughs> this is so phenomenal. Out of all the miracles we see in Scripture, this is one of the most unbelievable ones, all right? You ready for it? Exodus 36. These two guys, right, we got right here. Bezalel and Aholiab, okay? It says earlier in Exodus that these two guys were gifted of the Holy Spirit to carve great things for God. These two guys were the designers, okay, when it came to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. They designed the ornate everything. They designed, uh, they built the Ark of the Covenant. These are special guys, okay? Bezalel and Aholiab. So they're the leaders of the, of the craftsmen. So those two guys, and every craftsman in whom the Lord hath put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called uh, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill everyone whose heart had stirred him up to come to do the work. So they show up to do the work, and there's a pile of stuff. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. And the people, they kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work of the Lord, that the Lord has commanded us to do. So they said, the people brought too much. The people gave too much. The people paid too much money. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp that let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material that was sufficient to do all the work and more. For the material they had was sufficient. They had enough. They gave too much. Have you ever been a part of a church that gave too much? These people gave too much. And Moses had to say, stop giving. It's too much. This is unprecedented territory here. All right? They gave more than enough. You see that what they had brought was sufficient to do all the work and more. They had more than enough in their houses. God gave this gave them this phenomenal vision of accomplishing this thing, this tabernacle. It's amazing, the detail and the intricacies and uh, 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 the, the, I mean, how everything was going to either be made out of solid gold or coated in, it was just unbelievable. And they didn't know how they were going to do it until the people started bringing stuff. Every single morning on their way to work, they're dropping something new off that they're bringing to the point that Moses says, all right, stop, that's, that's enough, all right? That's all we need to accomplish the work of this ministry God has set us to accomplish. And they bring it, and they bring it, and Moses is doing this. The people had listened to the guidance of the Holy Spirit towards 
generosity, so much so that they gave more than what was needed to do this. There was a great need for ministry in the, in the building of this tabernacle and the, the years and decades of ministry that would be accomplished because of this. God had given the people everything that they needed. They already had what they needed to accomplish it in their houses, in their homes. I don't, they didn't even really have houses. They had tents at this point. They're wandering in the wilderness. They had everything they, they needed in their tent, in their backpacks that they used for a pillow. They had everything they needed there. Everything that we need to accomplish what God has set before us in 2021, we already have. It's already within you. It may be in your house. It may be already in your bank account. It's a foundation for what God's going to do and going to bring and going to accomplish through you if you bring your willingness and your own generosity to the table. He has already given to us. All he needs from us is a willing heart of generosity. We have been given more than enough to accomplish what God has for us. We have been given more than enough but oftentimes what we do is we compare what we have to somebody else. Or we compare what we have now to what was had years ago. And in doing so, that comparison kills contentment. It kills what God wants to do now because we're too busy thinking about this other stuff to see what God has for us here. You see, these Israelites weren't comparing what God has called them to do in the moment because they had nothing to compare it to. They were coming out of slavery, out of building the pyramids. And they just knew God has this for us now. Let's do what God has for us now. And they set out to do that. But you have more than enough to do what God has for you in 2021, in your family, in your personal life, in our church. We have it within us, within who you are, within who God designed you to be. You are more than enough. You may have heard in years past, you're not enough. Maybe that's a fear you have at times. I'm not enough to do this. I don't have enough to do this. Maybe so-and-so who's sitting across the room from me right now, maybe so-and-so who's able to do that can, can accomplish what God has for, for me. This, you know, there's no way I'm, gonna, I don't, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I can't do enough. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not smart enough. I can't do it. I'm not enough. But that's not the God that I serve. He has given us everything we need to accomplish. He is more than enough. And he has supplied us with everything we need to accomplish his purpose and his task. So don't let any voice whispering in your ear that you are not enough speak or that you don't have enough. Anyone who speaks that to you is not from God. Not from God. If God's told you to do something, what will need to be done or what will you will need to accomplish that thing will be there when you take that step. It will be there. Indiana Jones in the last crusade, when he steps out, the path was there. It will be there. If the Lord told you to go, he will provide everything you need. The old, uh, uh, you know, phrase, where God guides, God provides. Every time, without exception, he will provide. The moment you need it, he will provide it. The thing is, a lot of times, on, we want everything on the front end. We want to know the whole plan on the front end. We want to know, we, we want all the money to accomplish what God's called us to do on the front end. We don't want to have to, you know, get down the road and have to worry about it. But that's not the way God works. Because as I've said many times, God's not going to give you a life where you don't need him. 
He's going to give you a life where you keep coming back to him. That's why it's in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. The daily bread is for today. That's why he gave the Israelites manna that only lasted one day because he knew they would need to, the, 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 the activity of going back to him the next day for what they needed for the next day. God will provide everything you need. If he set before you something to accomplish, a vision for your family, a vision for your life, he will put everything that needs to be there there when it needs to be there. But we have to trust that it will be there. We've got to trust him. We've got to have faith. We've got to step out. And if that means giving something that we're holding back now, then we give it. I told the story many years ago. There was a time with my family when I was a kid, and my dad was a minister. We didn't have a whole lot of money. Our washing machine went out, and my parents were then saving for months to buy a washing machine. But in a service, a church service, the Lord told each of them individually, without conversation, you need to give that washing machine money. Like they, they were about one week away from buying the washing machine. God said, give the washing machine money. They said, God? I know my, my mom was thinking, I don't want to go to the washing machine anymore. Show everybody my undies. My dad didn't care. He liked going to the, he liked, you know, just going there, talking to people, throwing stuff all over the place. And God told them individually, give that washing machine money. And they turned to each other, sitting next to each other, they turned to each other. I think I didn't believe what God just told me. Well, I think he told me the same thing. They wrote the check for the washing machine money. They went down and put it in the offering plate during the service. They went back and sat down. Before they even sat down, somebody several rows behind them had left their seat and come up to them. So the moment they sat, this guy turned. He was at their pew. He said, I don't know what your needs are, but God just told me to give, buy you a washing machine. He said, I don't even know if you need one, but he told me to buy you a washing machine. He said, so I don't care what kind it is. I want you to go to the store tomorrow morning. You pick out the one you want, no matter what it costs. You pick it out, tell me what it is, and it will be delivered to your house before the week's over. You see, when you're faithful to God, even in moments of generosity that make no sense and you see no way of deliverance, <laughs> you can't see it, but he can because he's already set it up. He's already put it in place. He'd already told that guy to get out of his pew and go up there to my parents. He'd already put him there. When God called Moses in the desert and Moses is giving God every single you know, excuse he can, God, I can't. God, I don't talk good. God, I can't go there and talk to Pharaoh. I can't lead the people out of Egypt. God, I've just been a shepherd in the middle of nowhere for 40 years. God, I'm 80 years old. I can't do this. I don't have the strength and energy I used to. God, I killed a guy. God, I can't do this. But while he was arguing, unbeknownst to him, God had already sent Aaron out there to him. And when Moses finally offered his last excuse, God, I don't talk good. God said, fine, your brother Aaron's right over there across the hill, and he's coming. He talks good enough for both of you. You tell him what to say, and he'll say it. God had already sent Aaron, knowing what Moses was going to say. God has already sent what you need, and it's coming. But you need to be in position to receive it, to use it. You've got to be where God needs you to be. Be generous. Let it flow out of you. He's still got something for you to do because you are enough. God doesn't design failures. God designs people who are, who are loved by God to be used by God, who are more than enough, who have more than enough. Don't let anyone discount God or what God can do through you. Because God can do phenomenal things through anybody and everybody who is simply willing 
to follow after him. Because if you are still breathing, God is still working in you. If you're still breathing, God's not done with you. You say, well, I failed, I screwed up, I messed up. Whatever God will have for me to do, it's long gone because I'm way off of that path. Well, you're still breathing, that's a sign God's not done with you yet. God does not have a never-to-be-used-again shelf that he takes people and puts them there. He doesn't. People do. Man, we put people on a never-to-be-used-again shelf all the time. It's called Twitter. We, we spit it out there and spew it, and we cancel people, and never-to-be-used-again in whatever capacity. But that's not God. That is not God. God will use anybody and everybody willing. Moses, he had killed the guy. Moses, he had run away from his people. Moses finally obeyed God when he was 80. Moses. David, adultery, murder. His, one of his best friends. You go back and read it. Uriah the Hittite, the guy he had killed, was one of David's bodyguards. <laughs> and he had the guy killed. But God called him a man after God's own heart. In the book of Acts, it actually says David fulfilled the will of God in his generation. Not that the will of God was for him to murder and commit adultery. No, the will of God was his repentance. And he did repent. And David was still used by God. You are still here. You are still breathing. God still has a purpose for you here and now to accomplish for him. And no matter what comes your way, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how many people speak against what God has called you to do, God has still called you to do something. He still has something for you. And we need to persevere in that. You know what? Uh, uh, go to Romans chapter 8. This is not on the screen. Go to uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, <clears throat> but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here it is. Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. You know, people reading that list would say, yeah, that will separate us from what God has for us. Persecution, trouble, difficulty, you know, famine, being, you know, not having anything to eat, danger, someone coming after your family, nakedness, not having enough money to buy clothes, sword, somebody's busting in your house trying to kill you. That's going to separate you from what God has you to do. And what Paul is saying is that's not it. That cannot separate you from the love of God. That cannot separate you from walking in the will of God in your life. Verse 36. As it is written, For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says, verse 37, All those things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Uh, verse 37, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now that seems oxymoronic. If you're going through a financial situation where you don't have enough money to buy clothes, where you don't have any food because there's a famine, the economy died, 
somebody's persecuting you, there's, there's great uh, health trouble in your life, there's great distress, there's danger all the time, you have this weighing anxiety you can't get rid of, how can you say in that moment you are more than a conqueror? Paul says, that, well, it's not because of you, it's because of him who's with you. He says, verse 38, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're with Jesus, because Jesus is with you, he's with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's with you to the very end of the age. And if you turn to him and he's with you, you are more than enough. Even if the health situation comes to, to derail what you thought God was going to do in your life. Even if a financial crisis comes to derail what you thought God was going to do in your life. Even if, you know, some sort of crazy opposition gets you fired and, and they're speaking bad things out about you and they're destroying what you think is your reputation and they're doing all this mess. Even in that moment, you have more than enough in Jesus. You have more than enough in Jesus. I mean, Paul's writing this when the government wants his head. I don't know about you, my government hasn't put a hit on me yet. You? If so, don't stand next to me. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, but that's what's going on. And Paul writes, I'm more than a conqueror. Being taken to the executioner's block when he gets beheaded, he's more than a conqueror because of what God can do through him. Even what God can do through his death, he's more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. You are more than enough. Your life is more than enough. What God has equipped you with is more than enough in his will, in his purpose to accomplish what he has for you to accomplish. You know what? Flip over uh, a little bit further. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're jumping here. This is not on the screen either. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, verse 8 and 9. Yeah, this fits right in. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Everything may feel like it's coming against you, and you've got no way to dig your way out. You may feel like God said to do such and such. God has, con God has told you to be generous and give such and such, but you don't see how it's possible that you are going to make it through. God will deliver every single time. God is better than UPS or FedEx or USPS. God delivers right when it needs to be there, every single time. You don't need to check the tracking info to make sure it gets there by Christmas Eve. God will get it there when it needs to be there. He arrives exactly when he means to, and that's the right time, the right moment. That's when he delivers. God always delivers. God, through your willingness, makes anything he sets before you more than enough. You don't see how it's possible. It's more than enough. You don't see how you can do it. More than enough. You don't know what God can do through one willing heart, through one willing person. God can do many things. All you got to do is listen. All you got to do is follow, and he will make it more than enough every single time. You don't know something's going to happen in 100 years because of a faithful decision you make tomorrow. 
because of your great-great-grandchild, you don't know what God's going to do. You don't know. My granddad's granddad, I believe, my granddad's, my granddad's great-granddad came to America from Germany. No idea that one day some one of his descendants would be a preacher in Kathleen, Arkansas. He didn't know that. He just knew he wanted a better life in the moment. That's all he knew. He didn't know. My granddad, my granddad's great-granddad came from Germany, early part of 1900s. He didn't know his great-grandson, my granddad, was going to work for mobile oil and put oil, gas, in your car. He didn't know that. But it happened because of a faithful decision he made over 100 years ago now. You don't know what's going to happen in 100 years because you were faithful today. You don't know. God's given everything you need to be more than enough. If you're faithful to him today, you are more than enough. God chose you for your life, for everything he's equipped in your life. He chose you for that. He didn't choose me for that. He didn't choose me to live your life. He didn't give me the gifts he gave you. He didn't give me the skills he gave you. He didn't give me the money he gave you. He gave us all different stuff because he's called us to different things. He wants us to accomplish different things. Offer his glory and his benefit. The quarterback can't be the receiver. The, 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 any of the old line can't be the running back. But the running back can't run if there's no old line. He can't. Old line's not going to score a goal if there's no running back. Everybody's got something that, that God has equipped them to do, and they need to do it with what God has given them because it's more than enough. You have more than enough. God's given you more than enough. Don't let anybody whisper anything else to you. God chose you. You see, how do you know God chose you? The most famous scripture in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know that phrase, one and only son? That's a very unique Greek word. It's that whole phrase, one and only son. It's very unique because you, it, we, don't really, we can't really define what it means. It basically, uh, the best we can figure what it means is a unique relationship because I'm a son of God you're a son of God you're a daughter of God but the relationship between Jesus and God is different and so that word means son with a unique relationship he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die but will have eternal life that's the gospel summed up in one verse that is God choosing you that is God saying you are more than enough as God saying, I sent my son to die and raise so that you could be saved. So that you could live the life God wants you to live. So that you could fulfill the purpose for which God designed you to fulfill. So you could have the abundant life Jesus said he came to give us. But you've got to believe. You've got to follow. You've got to have a generous heart demonstrating what God has. Mimicking the heart of God. Back to him. Offering to him. Being what he has for you to be. You are more than enough. If you are still breathing, God's still got something for you to do. You may not even think it's very much. I mean, how do you think those people felt in bringing the money for the tabernacle when somebody's bringing a piece of cloth right behind somebody who just dropped off a bucket of gold? I don't know how they felt. All I know is God said, this is everything we need. So whether you got gold or you got a piece of cloth or you just got some oil and spices, we need it all. So whatever you got in your cabinet, you bring it. Because God needs it. Whatever you've got. Because remember, it's not about the thing. It's about the heart that brings the thing. 
So what is it that God has called you to be generous with today? What is it? Maybe it is money. Maybe that's something that you really struggle with in, in being generous with your money. Maybe, maybe you say, man, I'm good with my money. I, I give generously. Well, maybe it's pride right there. But maybe it's something else you need to be generous with. Maybe it's something else. And you, you, you may be having an argument in your mind right now with God that you don't want to do that thing. You don't want to spend that time. You don't want to invest that time. Maybe you're saying, I've already invested time, God. It's not my time anymore. God's saying, you're, you're still breathing. I'm not done with you yet. I've still got something for you to do. I've still got something for you to do. You do it. When I'm done using you, then I'll take you. But I'm not done with you yet. Keep doing what I've got for you to do until you're used up so that you can, as David did, Fulfill the will of God in your generation.